Amen. Joshua chapter 2 is where we're at in the scriptures. You guys know by now that Joshua is the Hebrew word for our Greek word, Jesus. It's the same word. It means God is salvation. And when Jesus was born, before he was even born, the angel declared to David, or to Mary and Joseph and to Joseph, you're going to name his name Jesus. That's going to be his name because he's going to be the savior of the world. And when Simeon there saw Jesus there in the, in the temple, his heart leapt and he saw the salvation of the Lord. And so too in the Old Testament, Joshua is a type of Jesus, is a foreshadowing of the things that God gives to us because the Bible is full of Old Testament pictures that illustrate New Testament principles. See, the New Testament is God's promise to us in Jesus. The things are done in Christ. All the promises of God are yes and amen. And they're principles and they're promises, but they're illustrated in the Old Testament. The Old Testament is full of some crazy stories. Have you guys read the Old Testament before? You need a seatbelt at times. You need prayer afterwards. Some of it's NC-17. It's crazy. Because it's pictures, it's types, it's shadows, it's illustrations of New Testament principles. Has anybody ever tried to explain something to you before and you're kind of just looking at them like, I'm, and, they, and they say something like, you want me to draw you a picture? How many of you guys learn better through pictures, illustrations? And the reason why there's Old Testament stories and pictures is for that exact reason, because it helps us learn things, remember truths, and understand principles, as well as it helps us then to share them with others along the way. Now, the children of Israel, their story began in Egypt. This is where they were grown up, and Joseph was their forefather, and then for 400 years, they dwelt in Egypt, and you guys who know the story, they multiplied and numbered by the millions, but they were living in bondage, in their own sin, and so God raised up a deliverer, Momo, we call him, Moses, and Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt, but he did so, listen, through the blood of a lamb. An innocent lamb. They had faith to believe that God was delivering them out of Egypt. And so every household had to slay an innocent lamb and apply the blood of this lamb upon the doorpost of their homes and on the top and the threshold. And when they put that blood there, thousands of years before Jesus, it was the perfect picture of a cross foreshadowing the blood of Jesus that would die. And they were delivered from Egypt. The death angel passed over and was, oh my gosh, this is amazing. But as soon as they got out of Egypt, they went to the Red Sea and they were stuck there at the Red Sea. And they had to trust the Lord. And the Bible tells us in the New Testament that as God parted the Red Sea and they walked through on dry land, that that's an illustration of baptism. That when Jesus saves you through the blood of the lamb and you're delivered from your sins, the first thing he asks you to do is to be baptized, to identify with what he's done. Baptism, identifying with his death, burial and resurrection. As a matter of fact, we have some people on my list. I've got an ongoing list here of people who want to get baptized. Chance is one of them, and Stacy's out there, and a guy named Spencer last week, he wants to get baptized. If you want to get baptized this year, get a hold of me, and we'll put something together. We're going to baptize people in Jesus' name. We're going to do it at Nye Beach. It's only 34 degrees below zero, and uh, <laughs> it's going to be awesome. We can wear wetsuits if you want. And so we're delivered by the blood just as they were. It's a type, it's a shadow. And as we walk through this Red Sea and we're baptized in his name. And if you know the story of the Old Testament saints, the next thing that happened to them is Moses went up the mountain and he received the oracles of God. He received the word of God, the commands of God. And he brought them down to the children of Israel. This is how we're to walk now. Listen, believers, if you're saved by the blood and you've been baptized and you've been delivered, you need to have a healthy understanding and a healthy appetite of God's word. And God gave them the word, okay, you're going to be in the wilderness. The only way you're going to survive in the wilderness is through his word. Man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And they were given the word of God. But you guys who know this story, they didn't stop there for 40 years. They wandered in the wilderness until the unbelieving, rebellious generation that didn't believe that God could do the things that he said, they died off in 40 years. You who've been believers for a while, have you noticed that even though you're saved and even though you've been baptized and even though you're reading the word of God, there's still some fleshly things that are dying off in your life. Anybody still got some flesh in their life even after you become a believer? Okay, 19 of us. The rest of you guys, whoa. <laughs> Good for you. Woo, you know. Man. And for 40 years, isn't 40 years a little aggressive? It's a little much, like, wow, but it takes a while for that maturation to happen and for that sanctification. And we see that evidenced in that picture of the wandering in the wilderness. And after they wandered for 40 years and that whole generation had died off, we see now what our picture of Joshua is, this entering into the promised land. 
this entering into what we call the spirit-filled life, and it's the second baptism where, listen, at one point in your life, at one point in your journey with Jesus, you're saved, you've been delivered, you've been covered, but there's a moment in your life, and maybe that's today, maybe it was last week, we talked about this in depth, where you realize, I need more of the Holy Spirit. I need more power in my life to be the man or woman I need to be. I need, I need to step into the fullness of the things of God. I'm saved, but I'm not quite where I wanna be. I'm grateful I'm not where I used to be, amen? Anybody, anybody glad you're not where I used to be? But I see in my life a need. I see in my life a thirst. And Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Learn from me. Jesus said, drink from me. Ask me from what I have, and out of your belly will flow living water. This is the invitation to the spirit-filled life. And we see this evidenced in the New Testament that the children of Israel were filled and refilled and filled again with the Holy Spirit. This is what we need to happen in our lives. Now, let me just challenge this kind of Old Testament typology in this picture that we see. We're gonna be studying through the book of Joshua over the next couple weeks. (laughs) Thanks, Clyde's holding me accountable. Next couple years. Joshua in the Old Testament, though, is only a picture of Jesus in the New Testament, a greater than Joshua. Joshua would lead the children of Israel into the promised land where there would be battle after battle after battle after battle. Jesus is the only one that can lead us into the promised land, but also give us rest in the battle. He's the only one that can give us rest right now for our soul. Rest in the chaos, rest in the wrestling. The Bible says that there's only one other thing that remains to do, and it is to labor into rest is to actually believe that Jesus is real, that Jesus is enough, that Jesus changes everything, that Jesus saves, that Jesus, 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 Jesus first, Jesus next, Jesus last. It's all Jesus. And that's a battle at times, isn't it, to remember that every single day we get kind of caught off guard and we get distracted by little things, but Jesus gives us that rest. So I gotta ask you a few questions. Have you put your faith in the blood of the lamb? Are you delivered from Egypt? Is it that, it's either, either are or you aren't. You've either put your faith in Jesus or you have not. You've either examined the evidence and made a conclusion in your life or you haven't. And if you're still on the fence wondering, well, I'm not sure if, I, if I'm ready yet. I get it, I understand. But the evidence available demands a verdict in your own life, does it not? They commanded the children, put blood on your heart, on your, on your house. The death angel's coming. There's no getting around it. The only way to move forward is to put your faith in something bigger than you. And and, and Jesus gives that to us. And the other question I'd ask is, have you been baptized? Have you identified with him in his work? And if you've been water baptized, I was 19 years old. I got baptized here in Newport Swimming Pool when I was 19. But every single day I need to identify either with my own works or with the finished work of Jesus Christ. Where's your hope lie? Where's your peace lie? It's gotta be in Jesus. It can't be in you, it can't be in me, it can't be in us. And as we're walking through this world, we promises to deal with our flesh. He promises to fill us with his Holy Spirit. He promises to give us that rest. And we see all this in the Old Testament book of Joshua. And last week we studied Joshua chapter one where God gave Joshua this amazing pep talk. Be strong and of good courage. Again, I say, be strong. Do not be afraid. Do not be dismayed. He told him once, twice, three times, and even the people chimed in at the last time. Hey, be the people told Joshua at the very end, hey, be strong and be of good courage, Joshua. I wonder if he was kind of shaking in his boots a little bit, looking at what was about to happen. And God gave him not just a pep talk like we all need, but he gave him a power talk. He said, I'm never gonna leave you. I'm never gonna forsake you. I'll be with you no matter where you go and you and I need to believe this is true in our lives as well because there are battles, there are things against you. There isn't gonna be always sunny days, especially not in Newport. It's always gonna be difficult moving forward and God encouraged Joshua and as a matter of fact, I just would put it this way. Did you know that we get to do this? We get to do this. We get to be Christians. We get to be on mission. We get to have faith. We get to take the land. We get to be missionaries. We get to be witnesses. We get to be servants. We get to be those who rescue others and minister to others and serve others. We get to do this. We get to live our lives. Sometimes the enemy wants to discourage you and say, oh man, you gotta just do your thing again. You gotta be you. It's gonna be so hard. Joshua was encouraged 
Hey, man, this is going to be too legit to quit. Get after it. Don't stop. Trust me. I'm taking you in to the promised land. God is going to go in with us and in front of us as well. That was the promise. Look at verse 1 of chapter 2. We're going to get right to work. How many of you guys believe we can do the whole chapter today? Show of hands. Show of hands. Not even. Gee, Regina, I love you. She's like, I, you know, the only person of faith this morning, Regina, you know. You guys don't believe it? Well, here we go. Here we go. Verse 1. Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, go view the land, especially Jericho. And so they went and they came to the house of a harlot named Rahab, and they lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. Stop right there, eyes up here. Immediately after the pep talk, after the power talk, immediately Joshua steps up, grabs two guys. They're unmentioned, they're unknown. We don't know. There's some speculation historically who they could be. And immediately they get to work and send out two spies to figure out what God's going to do next. This encourages me. Because did you know what the largest nation in the world is today? It's procrastination. It's funny than you guys made it sound. The second service is gonna, they're gonna own that one. It's procrastination. God told him what to do and immediately he sends two spies out to do it. Can I just encourage you? If God has spoken to you, if God is for you, not against you, if God has plans in your life, what do you wait for? Just do it. What's getting in the way? Deal with it. What's God asked you to walk in? Walk in it. Step out on the water. Do the things that God has called you to do. I love Joshua because in chapter two, he's like, let's go. Let's send some spies out. Now, let me remind you of verse 11. If you got your Bibles open up, you can turn back to verse 11 in chapter one. Let me just connect the dots here. Verse 11, it says, pass through the camp and command the people saying, hey, prepare provisions for yourselves. For within three days, you will cross over this Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God is giving to you to possess. I pointed this verse out last week. This is brand new territory for the children of Israel. For 40 years, every single day has been the exact same day. Wake up, you got manna pancakes. At lunchtime, you got a manna sandwich. At dinnertime, you got a manna roast. You got all these manna stuff. It's all the same. For 40 years, God's been giving them stuff. And now he says, hey, we're doing different things now. We're doing different things. We're, we're creatures of habit. We don't like change necessarily. Some people thrive on change and some people really get, get, you know, they love change. Most people though resist change whether you know it or not. We kind of just get into our lane. We stay in our habits. Can I just challenge you and remind you that if you keep doing what you've always done, you're gonna keep getting what you've always got. There is no magical other way around it. You can't get anything new in your life at all until you start doing new things. New patterns, new habits, new disciplines, new directions, new duties, new delights, you, you just can't. And I need to be reminded of this because I don't wanna pull the audience, but how many of you guys want a few new things in your life right now? Like a new, you want some new character, you want some new strength, you want some new peace, you want, I want all that new stuff, where can I get that, Pastor Luke, you know? They're selling that online, where can I get that? <laughs> and we want new stuff in our life. And the Lord says, oh yeah, I've given to you, my, I told you what to do. This actually excites me just a little bit. Because I have all kinds of things in my life right now that are out of order, just not quite perfect, not quite exactly there. And the Lord's like, what are you going to do about it? Are you going to procrastinate some more, Luke? Are you going to give yourself excuses? Are you going to compare yourself to the person you used to be? Well, at least I'm better than that guy. Or compare yourself to the person next to you, at least I'm better than that person. Or are you going to listen to God's word and say, hey, I provided all this for you. As far as your feet will go, every place your soul shall walk, I have given to you. Joshua's like, all right, guys, let's do it. Let's spy out the land. Let's get after it. And I encourage you, this all happened, by the way, this next story, these next three or four uh, chapters all happened within that three-day span when they were making provisions for one another in order to go into what God had for them. And I just encourage you right now, don't miss out on what God has for you. Just because it's new and just because it will require you to do a few new things and even a few hard things, step out. As a matter of fact, the whole book of Joshua, especially at the beginning here, is a command to Joshua, an invitation to step up and to step out into the new promised land. Wouldn't it be awesome if everyone just decided to step into the newness just a little bit more in your home life? in your own Jerusalem, to be a witness there, to lead your family better, to lead your community better. 
holidays are coming up. You're probably going to be with all the family members that you love so much and have missed so, for so long since last Thanksgiving. Wouldn't it be awesome if you had that mantle of leadership around you? It wasn't just in your family, but you decided to in our community and just say, hey, it's voting season. We're about to vote in a few weeks here. and I need to step up and just pray for the election, pray for things that are happening. I need to know what's going on. I need to step up. Or maybe it's in being a witness at work, going to work, and everyone knows you're a Christian, but you're not really being vocal about it or being forthcoming about it. You just kind of, and the Lord said, hey, step up. We're moving out. It's not going to be easy. There will be risks involved. As a matter of fact, doesn't chapter 2, verse 1 look a little risky? Let's read it again. It says, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and they came to a house of a harlot named Rahab, and they lodged there. Okay, a couple things are alarming right off the bat, are they not? A couple things are concerning. Okay, the first thing is that Joshua's like, let's go spy the land. Doesn't that kind of like ring a bell like the last time that the spies were sent out? 12 of them went into the land of Canaan, the same land they went in, and 12 came back, and they all had the exact same report. Dude, there is food everywhere. It's crazy. Gas is three cents a gallon. It's nuts, you know. Prime ribs are buy one, get 10 free. It's crazy. And they all had the same report, but 10 said, it's too, there's bad guys there, though. We can't go, and, and, and it's, they're too big. There's no way we can do what God told us to do. Two spies came out and they said, oh no, we can actually do this. We, we see the, the provision, the promised land, and God has promised it to us. Let's go, guys, let's get fired up. Those two guys that were sent that had a good report, what were their names? Joshua, same guy, and Caleb. And so when that report came back and when those people went in to spy the land, listen, let me just contrast what's happening here in chapter two. They were sent into the land to see if they could take the land. God had told them they could, but they're like, well, we're going to go see if we can do it. We know God told us we can, but we're going to go see if we can. This particular mission wasn't to see if we can. This particular mission was to see how we can. Do you know the difference? God told them they could do it. And so using their mind, using their might, using their plan, they said, hey, go into Jericho. Go in and especially spy out all the land, especially Jericho. It was strategic in nature. Their question wasn't if we can do it. Their question was how we can do it. There's a big difference. And I believe there's actually a necessity when God calls you to step out and to take new land that you should ask that question. Well, how's God gonna do this? And you take good counsel. Notice they did it secretly. They were being careful. They were being wise. They were going about God's business, but they weren't going in wondering, I'm not sure if this is going to happen at all. They knew for a fact it was going to happen. And can I encourage you Christians, we need to have that same kind of faith in our day. Right now the world is looking around for an answer. They're freaking out. I can't believe it. I don't know. And what if? And yet the Bible declares to us front and back what's happening, what has happened, and what is going to happen. Amen? We know it's going to happen. And we don't need to wonder if it's going to end well. We need to ask ourselves, how is the Lord going to use me and others in his his mission of salvation, this is what God is doing, and I believe that their hearts are not the same as their predecessors were, but now they're leading in a new way. And we see here that rather having inaction, there's much action by Joshua. Go and view the land. Notice also, though, that they went out secretly and viewed Jericho, but they went to Rahab the harlot's house. Anybody have any problems with that? It's kind of interesting. As a matter of fact, Scholars and theologians and Bible teachers over the years have wrestled with this portion of scripture. Some of the things that Rahab does, she lies more than one time in this particular chapter. She's known as the harlot. And so they use their kind of Hebrew gymnastics, like maybe she wasn't a harlot after all. Maybe she's just an innkeeper. And they try and figure it out she, she was a harlot. She was a shady lady. And she had some issues in her life. And yet they went there on purpose. And I believe I'm just going to help you guys zoom out and see the context of this whole story before we rip right through it. That as they went to this Rahab the harlot's house, that God had intentions not just to give these spies a good report in a tactical way to go into the land and to take it, but more than that, God had a heart after her heart because her heart was after his heart. Did you know that Rahab the harlot had a heart after God? We're going to see her testimony. She had issues. She wasn't perfect. Matter of fact, how many of you guys had a nickname when you grew up? You had a nickname? Can you imagine having the nickname that your whole entire life, Rahab the Harlot? I mean, there's some bad nicknames out there, but that's a pretty bad one. As a matter of fact, the writer of the book of Hebrews, when he writes the Hall of Faith, 
Hebrews chapter 11, lists all the heroes of the faith. And in the heroes of the faith, he lists Rahab, but he also includes the fact that she's a harlot. It's like, can we just let that part go, you know? James, this is crazy to me. James, let me just read to you James, Jesus' little brother. James says it this way, and this is crazy. You can read it on your own. It's in James chapter two. It says, and the scripture was fulfilled, which says Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. He uses Abraham as a proof text for faith that works. Verse 24, you see then that a man is justified by works and not just by faith. Abraham's a pretty good proof text. Verse 25, likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers? Stop right there, I stop here. This is so crazy to me for a couple reasons that they continue to call her Rahab the harlot. But that James, when he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, writing the New Testament, uses Abraham, the father of faith, as a proof text of faith that works. Oh man, Abraham was saved by faith and it was evidenced in his life. Oh, that reminds me of another person, Rahab. If you are rather the harlot. <laughs> what's going on here? Let me tell you what's going on here. If you know anything about the Bible, you know that Abraham was esteemed. He's, he's the father of faith. Could you not, would you not think that in the scriptures, if God were gonna pick a hero of the faith in the book of James to exemplify faith that works, he could pick Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego or, or, one of the, or, or Moses or Joseph or, or David. One of, the, one of the guys, just, you know, they all were marred. They all were flawed. But by the Holy Spirit's unction in the writer James as he wrote this, he said Abraham was so full of faith that his faith actually was evidenced in what he did. Just like Rahab's. Rahab's? You're going you're gonna, to you're reference her? Yeah, Rahab. Because when the children of Israel went into the promised land, this gal Rahab saw the spies and she knew what was going on. She said, come, stay at my house. I'll hide you guys. Nothing immoral's going on here. Some people want, or they, they speculate and conjure. Well, nothing weird happened. Nothing weird happened, okay? The reason I know that is because there's two guys that were sent out to hold each other accountable. The Bible teaches go two by two to hold each other accountable in this way so nothing weird happens. No, no Lone Ranger ministry. It's not advised. It's not the best model. These guys went out two by two. And instead, this woman who had a past, she was a shady lady. But nonetheless, the Lord said, hey, she loves me. She's all messed up. She's in the promised land living with a bunch of Gentiles that don't love me. But her heart has been softened through my word and what I've done in her life. So much so that James goes on record and the writer to the Hebrews, there's a bunch of people in the hall of faith. I could have chosen a whole bunch of different people. And yet I believe this story illustrates not only God's provision, not only Joshua's action, but God's heart and intention to save not just a few people, but to save everybody who has a heart that is soft toward him. Nicknames are kind of hard to live down reputations, and yet the Bible says that in the Lord, the old has passed away, all things have become new. And we see this beautifully illustrated here. And I believe these guys went there for a couple different reasons. Number one, because it was probably a good spot to hide. You know, Harlot's house is kind of a place where, you know, nothing goes out, a lot of secrecy there, you know, and you're gonna be protected in that way. And it was available in, in, in that way to, to hide out there. But the primary reason I believe that they went to this house is because that's exactly where the Lord led them to go in order that she might be saved. Let's keep reading. It says in verse two, it says, and it was told the king of Jericho saying, behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab saying, bring out the men who have come to you that have entered into your house for they have come to search out all the country. Stop right there, eyes up here. Immediately we see pushback. Their cover is blown from some way. The king of Jericho finds out their mission and begins to threaten them and begins to pursue them. As soon as you decide to step out into the new things that God is calling you to step out, as soon as you step out into that new life in your community or that new life in leading your family or that new spirit-filled life in just worshiping the Lord, expect there to be some pushback and opposition. Expect the enemy to be aware of what you're doing to put a bullseye on your back and to stop you. Have you guys felt this before? Have you started a Bible study at your house? Or maybe you're like, I'm gonna get up early and pray. And you decide to get up early and pray, but that night you can't sleep at all. And so when the alarm goes off, you just can't. And the enemy doesn't want you to rise up and to step into new things in your life. Be expecting that. 
Verse three, though, he accuses them, for they have come to search out all the country. I like that accusation. They're on mission. There's so many organizations out there in the world right now, so many things happening, so many people putting their flags up and trying to lead things. Do you guys know that if you're part of the church of Jesus Christ, do you guys know that we are trying to search out the entire country? Okay, this is the one thing that changes everything. It's the kingdom of God. And this guy in Jericho knew that these people weren't messing around. Look at verse four. It says, then the woman took the two men and she hid them. And so she said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out where the men went and I do not know. Pursue them quickly for you may overtake them. Stop right there. Eyes up here. This is so rad. As soon as the enemy comes to attack them, she stands up and defends them. Oh yeah, those guys were here, but they bounced. They went outside. If you know what? If you super hurry right now, if you go after them, you could probably catch them. And the guys take off after them. And this reminds me, as the battle rises up in your life, as you step out, expect there to be pushback. Don't be surprised when various trials come to test you. Don't be surprised. But Jesus said this, when you're attacked, when you're put before magistrates, when things get difficult, the Holy Spirit will give you exactly what you need in that moment. This is the uncomfortable reality and the tension of being a son or daughter of the Most High God. You mean I'm saved and I'm filled with the Holy Spirit and no weapon formed against me shall prosper? Woo! Awesome. Why do I have this helmet on? Do I need this helmet? Don't take your helmet off. Keep your shield up. Get your sword, boots on, belt on, breastplate of righteousness. What? Because it's going to be nar-nar. And if you trust in the Holy Spirit, though, listen, he'll give you everything you need to endure every single attack. I kind of just don't want any more attacks. I don't want any more challenges. I don't want any more difficulties. That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Instead, we need to strengthen ourselves and fortify ourselves. Well, this gal, Rahab, stands up and defends them, covers them. Look at verse 6. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. And then the men pursued them by the road of the Jordan to the fords. And as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Stop right there. Eyes up here. This is interesting. For those of you who study types and pictures and shadows, these men are hidden up on the rooftop and she's put them within the stalks of flax. This is something we don't understand. This would be like linen bunches that are being prepared for uh, making tapestry and clothing. And in the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament, flax and this type of linen would be used specifically for the priesthood, for those who are called, for those who are anointed, for those who are covered. It speaks of holiness and, and purity and righteousness. And these guys are on the rooftop and Rahab covers them in this purity and this holiness and this righteousness and they're protected in this way and the bad guys leave. Verse seven, then the men pursued them on the road to the Jordan to the fords and as soon as those who pursued them had gone out, they shut the gate. Now the rest of the children of Israel, just so you guys know, were on the east side of the Jordan still, about five miles from Jericho. When we go to Israel on March 23rd this year, I think we might have a, a few more spots to just open up if you want to go with us. We can maybe sneak in. When we go to Israel in March, we won't go to Jericho, just so you guys know. It's controlled by Muslims at this point. And it's kind of, a, kind of a, a territory where we don't just bring tons of people. And it's about five miles west of the Jordan River where the children of Israel were posted up waiting for the spies to come back. And so these guys took off and came back. And in verse 8, it says this. Now, before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof. And she said to them, I know that the Lord has given you the land, that the terror of you has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you, for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, Sounds like a scene from Lord of the Rings, you know, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you, because for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Stop right there, eyes up here. These guys just show up to spy out the land. They were given instruction, go, especially in Jericho, check it out, be secret, be strategic, check it out, see what's going on, and they find this lady, Rahab, who covers them, and all of a sudden, she protects them. I wonder if these two thought they were about to die. They didn't know who Rahab was. They didn't know who was hiding them. The king sent messengers to Rahab's house. We're looking for the guys that were just here. They're upstairs going, oh my gosh, it's over. But instead, she covers them. Oh yeah, they, they, they took off already. Yeah, if you hurry up, you might be able to find them. Go check it out. And they're up there listening, go, what the heck? She comes upstairs and she says, hey, I know who you guys are. I know what's going on. 
ever since we heard about the Red Sea drying up. How long ago was that, by the way? 40 years. Ever since we heard about your victory with Sihon and Og. When was that, by the way? You're like, I never heard of it. Sihon and Og. It's in Numbers chapter 21. We heard about these guys who resisted you and their, their camps fell down because they resisted. We heard about that. We know who you are. When she says we, she's speaking of her household, but primarily it's her faith. And all of a sudden, these two find themselves. Are you serious? You're actually a sympathizer? You're actually kind of an outlier, one of us on the outside looking in? I wonder what the Lord's doing. And he finds these two being hosted by this gal whose heart is ripe and soft. So often we look at people on the outside and we think, well, they're not gonna be a believer. There's no way that they have any sort of understanding of the gospel. Look at the lifestyle they're living. Look at the company that they're carrying. Look at the things that they're doing right now. Do you struggle with this from time to time? The Bible actually says that mankind judges the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. I do this so often, and I actually love when God puts me in the place of somebody that's maybe easy to discern on the outside, that is not godly, not walking with the Lord, and then just to grace them, to bless them, to say, I wonder if the Lord's doing something. Because we get so judgy. We get so sin-sniffy and fruit-inspecty and pharisaical. It's easy to do. And so God here, I believe, is showing us his heart. And as he sent these two, not arbitrarily, but specifically and strategically to hide them, it was to a woman that had a heart that was ready to be saved, ready to give herself over to the Lord. I remember one time I was out street witnessing on Halloween night in Ashland, Oregon, which is a really interesting place. And we're out there witnessing, and most of the people we were witnessing to were antagonistic and pushed back and sarcastic and had nothing they wanted to do until this one particular couple, I remember I began to witness to them and ask them questions and engage. I had no idea who they were. They had full costume and had all. And I started to realize, whoa, the Lord is doing something right now in this couple's life. All I did was go out in a heart of love and a heart of life and a heart of pursuing somebody else. And maybe the Lord wants to save somebody. Wouldn't it be awesome if we stepped out in 2020? 2023 and let the Lord use us to save those people that maybe in our mind we say, ah, not them. They've been my neighbor for too long. I, I know what they're all about. I've seen them on Facebook and man, we grew up together. Man, may the Lord surprise us. May the Lord shock us as he begins to soften people's hearts and connect us to them. And it doesn't get much better than this. Look at verse 12, actually. She says, now, therefore, I beg you, swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father and my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that I have and deliver our lives from death. Stop right there. I said, this is so rad. I beg you to save me. Anybody ever go street witnessing? You're just looking for somebody to witness to? A couple years ago, we were baptizing people at Agate Beach, and we baptized like 17 people, and I think I got hypothermia. It was awesome. And uh, just baptizing people, and we were finally done. I remember I was walking out of the water, and this surfer had been surfing the whole time watching us, and, and he paddled over as fast as he could before I could get out of the water, and he paddled right up to me. and said, hey, can you baptize me before you get out? I remember I was like, that's the coolest thing I've ever heard. Let's do it. Let's, let's go ahead. And I baptized him in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, just asking to be saved. And here's this woman, I beg you, I just saved you, I protected you, I beg you, I see what's going on, would you also save my life as well? And may the Lord ripen hearts in front of us as well in our day. Look at verse 14, so the men answered her, our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours, and it shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. Then she let them down by the rope through her window, for her house was on the city wall, and she dwelt on the wall. And she said to them, get out by the mountain, lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. And so the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath which you made before, which, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household, to, our, to your own home. Stop right there, eyes up here. 
this contract is now made. She says, okay, I'm gonna let you guys out through the window. In those days, because geography was a little different, and by the way, when we think of Jericho, we kind of think of a city with a wall around it. Maybe you think of even Newport or Portland or Beaverton or some big city. This was a small city with a wall around it that wasn't as big as maybe your imagination says, but that wall was thick and wide enough where there was actually living spaces in those walls, and Rahab here, I was gonna say Harlot here, Rahab here, she apparently lives in the wall on the top of the wall. This is her dwelling space. And in those days, a harlot, what she would do is they would paint their windowsills red, maybe just even the entirety of it, a little red, just kind of like we have the red light district in certain areas and kind of just an indicator throughout time. And so she's living in this particular wall. She says, I'm going to let you guys out. And then when you come back, you have to promise me that you'll protect my life. And all these types and shadows, these two witnesses say, you know what, we'll do that our life for years. But here's the deal. When we come back, only the people in your house are going to be saved. This red, this cord, this scarlet thread, this, push, uh, this points back to Jesus, and it points back to the lamb, and it points back to the thresholds, and it points back to the blood, and it all pictures salvation and faith through Jesus. But these two witnesses say to her, hey, you know what, this is only going to be applicable to people who are inside the house. The Bible predicts that in the end days that there'll be a great falling away, that those who are of the household of faith will start to drift. The Bible says there'll be those who once were in the house who will start to do their own thing and walk outside of the boundaries of faith in God. We call it deconstructionism in our day. There's a bunch of people out there who once grew up in the church and Christianity and believed in things and now for whatever reason are deconstructing their faith and walking away from their allegiance to Jesus Christ. Now, I believe personally that if you're born again, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that Jesus has saved you and forgiven, me, forgiven you, that once saved, always saved, born again. But I do believe that there can be those who are thinking they're born again. Those who think they're saved. They grew up in a Christian house. Celebrated Christmas. Don't you guys love Christmas? Grew up around the church, went to summer camp. I can't judge your salvation, nor can you judge my salvation. But here these two spies say, look, only the people who are in your house, verse 18 again, unless when we come into the land, you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home, so it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we will be guiltless, and whoever is with you in the house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from your oath, which you made us swear. And then she said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away, and they departed, and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. She began to then walk in the things that they had commanded her to do. They said, look, we're coming back. We're going to be looking for this scarlet cord, and the people in your house will be saved. James gives us a warning in his epistle. He says, don't just be doers of the word. Don't just understand the word, but be doers of the word. Don't just be hearers only, but be those who walk in obedience and walk in response. We see this exemplified by her. Look at verse 22. And they departed and went to the mountain and stayed there three days until the pursuers returned. The pursuers sought them all along the way, but they did not find them. And so the two men returned, descended from the mountain and crossed over and they came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all that had befallen them. Stop right there, eyes up here. Isn't this awesome? So many pictures, so many types. For three days, they hid in the mountains while they were being pursued by their enemies. And after the third day, they came up out of hiding and they went back to Joshua and began to report that all was well and that the victory was given to them. This reminds me of Jesus, who was also tucked away, hidden in a mountain for three days and hiding as his pursuers were trying to take him out. And then when Jesus rose from the dead, the first thing he did was pursue others and presented himself to them alive told them that what he had done was enough. This is all just typology and pictures, all foreshadowings. Look at verse 24. And they said to Joshua, truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands and for indeed all the inhabitants of the country are faint-hearted because of us. Isn't that an awesome story? We did it. We did it, guys. Don't clap yet. No, we're not done yet. You guys, we're not done yet. Rahab the harlot. What a, what, a, what, a, what a lady. God chose her 
Did you know that when the children of Israel, these two spies went in to spy out the land, we don't actually know if they came back with a strategic report. All they did was they come back. Here's the report. Look at verse 24. And they said to Joshua, truly the Lord has delivered all the land into our hands for indeed the inhabitants of the country are faint hearted because of us. Stop right there, eyes up here. You guys who know the story, we're gonna see it in just a few chapters. They're gonna go into Jericho and God is gonna instruct them. Here's what I want you guys to do. I want you to march around the land one time blowing ram's horn. You know, and then go home. And the next day I want you to come back and do it again. March, just, okay, second time. Then what? Nothing. How about the third day? Do the same thing, just like you did the first two days. And then the fourth day, and the fifth day, and the sixth day. And on the seventh day, I want you to go around seven times. You know, I was like, and this is their strategy. This is what they're going to do. This is what the spies came back. They said, hey, truly God has given us the land. And what we're going to do is we're just going to worship. We're going to send the worshipers out. The priests are going to blow ram's horns, and the men are going to walk before and after. This is going to be this huge thing. And on the seventh day, you guys know the story, you're going to shout. And when you shout, when this worship goes up and the shouting goes up, God's going to cause the walls to fall down. Now, if you're a military campaign strategist, you're like, uh, I don't know if we've ever done this before. <laughs> the walls are impenetrable and the arrows and, the, and all this is real. I'm just I'm putting this out there because none of it made sense ontologically or in a man-centered way. None of it made sense at all. Except these spies came back and said, hey, God's for us, not against us. He's given us the land. They've done archaeology digs in this particular region, and they've discovered the, the town of Jericho. They've discovered it. And one of the early uh, uh, archaeologists that was discovering this was doing some writing on it. And he actually described, he's a non-believer, he actually described, he says, most of these walls that are taken down through enemies and through exploits like this, they are pushed inward through the battering rams and through all the wars that come in. He says, but the walls of Jericho, they're interesting. This is his direct quote. He said, the walls of Jericho are interesting. It's as if an invisible hand pushed the walls outward and they fell flat. And this is the way that they're right now archaeologically kind of set there, that something happened that wasn't man's effort, wasn't man's strength. Listen, you know what it was, though? It was man's obedience. This is great news if you want to be used by God in the upcoming future. What God is looking for is obedient, faith-filled men and women. It's not about our prowess or our strength or our ingenuity. It is about us taking God at his word, believing him and obeying him and stepping out on land, not wondering if it's gonna happen, but watching God to say, how is it gonna happen? How are you gonna do it, Lord? Let's do it. We have faith to believe that you're going before us, that you're not against us, and that you can do everything you called us to do. And these spies came back and said, hey, the land's ours. All right, then, cool. Let's cross over the Jordan. And we're going to see now the next couple chapters leading up to the taking down of Jericho. Now, somebody in the audience right now probably has a question, like, why are they taking down Jericho? What's wrong with Jericho? Leave Jericho alone. Why are you guys taking Jericho? Jericho was a godless nation. It was a nation that had been given many opportunities to worship the living God, to stop with their pagan practices, to stop with their, their sacrificial system and their abuse and all their immorality, and they hadn't done that. This is the same with God. God pleased to people these days. He said, hey, come to me. I'll teach you the right way. I created everything. I know everything. There's all kinds of perversions and all kinds of counterfeits and everything that's gonna take you away from me. And if you follow me, I promise you it's the right way. And there's other things out there that the Lord says those things are against me. And so the children of Israel were commanded, go in and take the land, but within Jericho, there was a woman of faith, a whole household of faith. And as interesting as this story, chapter two, is let me just end you with a few thoughts. Rahab, the harlot, goes down in history five separate times in the scriptures, maybe even seven. She's labeled as Rahab the harlot, but she had faith. And the Bible says that it's impossible to please the Lord apart from faith. We tend to think the Lord's looking at other things. He says, hey, do you, do you really believe me? Do you really believe me? Do you believe my word? Do you believe my, my spirit? Do you believe what I'm doing? This is a great test, especially, like I said, right now, South Beach Church is on the precipice of all kinds of cool things, and we're gonna be kicked out of this building at the end of 2023, uh, I think, you know, and, we're, and we just bought land up on the hill, and we got, how's the Lord gonna do all this? And the Lord would ask me, and maybe he would ask you as well, do you believe that I can do this? Do you believe that I can do this? Do you believe I am doing this? 
I believe it to be true. I believe that while we're here, boots on the ground, that while we're here, roots growing down, fruits coming out, that the best is yet to come. And until the Lord takes us home in the rapture, that there's things to be done here and that God is going before us. And what he asks for you and me is to have faith. I would even say it this way, to have the same faith as a harlot. To have the same faith as Rahab. Rahab had saving faith. She was saved. She was outside the boundary. She was doing, she's raised wrong. She's living in a weird kingdom, doing funky things. And yet her faith saved her. How do we know she was saved? Because it was evidenced by works. And if you have saving faith in your life, you can write this down, take your note taker. We're gonna end on these thoughts. If you're a saved person here, there should be evidence in your life. There should be something being done. There should be works. James says that if you say you have faith, it will be seen by your works. This is an encouragement. This is a challenge. Her faith wasn't just lip service, but it was actual service. She was so saved that she served in tremendous fashion. She was the least likely to serve. And I just want you guys to know that at South Beach Church, we're looking for people to serve in Sunday school and with other areas and on our worship team. Show up early, stay late, say yes to everything. Go to CR, go to the women's Bible study, go to the men's Bible study, volunteer, go to a life group, start a life group, do something, step out. I'm not very qualified. Are you more qualified than Harlot? I hope so, you know. She had saving faith. Not only did she have saving faith, she had solo faith. I don't know how well her family was, if she had to lead them to the Lord, if it was like a lot in his family situation. But we know that she had to stand alone. She had solo faith. Can I encourage you Christians who are believers here today? It's not gonna be easy to stand for the things of God, but it is absolutely necessary. And you might feel like you're standing alone at work. You might feel like you're standing alone in your, in your family. You might feel like you're the only one. But if you have saving faith, okay, don't be afraid to have that solo faith as well. I grew up in a Christian family. My parents are right here. And my sister is a believer. And we just, man, go, being a saved wasn't that hard. Some of you don't have family that support your, your Christianity. Some of you work in a job environment where you're the only Christian there. Some of you participate in clubs or sports or whatever. You're going to go to college soon. You're the only Christian. Rahab had saving faith. She had solo faith. She also had strong faith. I wonder if she was plagued with doubt ever. Are these guys really going to hold up their end of the bargain? They're going to come destroy the city. I wonder if they're going to do what they said. And she had faith that was strong in the promises of God. And if you want to be used in the future, you need to have that strong faith. She also had sacrificial faith. She was willing to take a risk. Did you know that going against the king, lying to him directly, would render her the death sentence if it were found out? The Bible calls you and I who are believers that have faith like this to be willing to sacrifice our comfort, sacrifice our freedom, sacrifice our reputation for the things that matter most. She had saving faith, solo faith, strong faith, sacrificing faith, and she also had sharing faith. She didn't just keep it to herself. Isn't this rad when she's negotiating? Hey, will you save me? Yeah, we'll take care of you. What about my dad? How about my mom? I got some brothers and sisters too, you know. We're all gonna be there. These guys could have been like, what are you talking about? But she negotiated well for the people around her. She shared it with others. There are people right now in Jesus' name that God has put you around that he wants you to share your faith with them as well. It's gonna take sacrifice. It's gonna take strength. It's gonna take that solo and that saving. And then lastly, she had this sanctifying faith. That is... That as God began to move in her life, listen, she changed her ways. She goes down as Rahab the harlot, but did you know that she quit harlotry? She quit the business. She changed. She got saved and she went and sinned no more. Everything changed for this woman. As a matter of fact, you who know the Bible, you know that shortly after this, she married a man. His name was Salmon. Shaman, Salmon, you know, kind of a fishy guy. I don't know, but she married him. Rahab the harlot, here's Sammy. <laughs> True story. She got married, they had a kid. That kid's name was Boaz. Boaz was, Boaz was a mighty man. Boaz would go on to marry a woman named Ruth. Joshua judges Ruth. Ruth would have a kid named Obed. Obed would have a kid named Jesse. Jesse would have a kid named David. David would have a kid with a woman named Bathsheba, another shady lady named Solomon. And then after about another 20 generations, there would be another son born, Jesus Christ. Stop right there, eyes up here. 
Rahab's great, 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 30, greats, grandson is Jesus Christ. And the Lord knows, and the Lord knew, and the Lord loves, and the Lord pursues, and the Lord gives, and the Lord serves from the uttermost to the guttermost. What a crazy little story. It gets a whole chapter, chapter two, whole story. Rahab the harlot. She makes the New Testament multiple times. In the book of Matthew, in the genealogy of Jesus Christ himself, it says Rahab, but you know what it doesn't say? The harlot. It just says Rahab. God changed her and he saved her and he used her. Here's the best news you're gonna hear all day. Jesus is real. Jesus is real, okay? And he's on mission right now in the year 2022. He's doing things right now. And he asks for you and me to believe and to participate. That's all he asks. Ah, I don't know if he's gonna do it. I don't know if he can do it. I don't know. Don't ask those questions. It's okay to ask questions. I wonder how the Lord's gonna do it. I wonder how the Lord's gonna save my dad. I wonder how the Lord's gonna save my girlfriend. I wonder how the Lord's gonna save this community. I wonder how the Lord's gonna guide us in this new election. I wonder how the Lord's gonna help us. I wonder how the Lord, and he's looking for men and women who have faith. While we're here, this is what the Lord wants us to do. Not us four, no more, bar the door, holy huddle, Bible bubble, just keep everyone out from the big bad world. But instead he says, no. Let's bear fruit. Let's bear fruit. And God uses this lady. He uses this woman. We'll meet her in heaven. We'll see her family lineage. We'll see the restoration of her life. Maybe you need that restoration yourself. Maybe right now you would say, you know, I don't know if I necessarily would call myself what they called her, but I know I'm not perfect. I know I need salvation. I know I need forgiveness. I know I need to get things right. And Lord, if you would just take me, as a matter of fact, while we end in prayer right now, Lord, if you would just take me and take my life and use me for your glory and for others' good, I would surrender to you Just as this woman caught on the wrong side of the road doing the wrong things, living a life that she should never have lived, and yet, Jesus, you pursued her because, listen, 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 because her heart was soft. She had heard about God. She said, we've heard about what you've done. We've heard about your God. He's the God of heaven and earth. And if your heart is here this morning and you are soft towards Jesus, soft towards the Lord, he would look to you right now and say, give your life to me. I will take all of your sins. I will take all of your imperfections. I will take all of your mistakes, and I will cover them with my son's blood. And I want to give you an opportunity this morning to simply give your life to Jesus Christ and to say, Lord, take me right where I'm at. Would you use me? Would you lead me? Would you guide me? Would you take my life and do something great with it, Lord, as I give my life to you because you gave your life to me? So right now, in Jesus' name, if you want to give your life to Jesus Christ and seal the deal, would you just raise up your hand right now? In Jesus' name, just raise it up and say, yeah, I want to be saved. I want to be saved. I see two, three, dozens people raising their hand in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. He sees your hand. He loves you. Maybe you need that restoration. Keep your hands up. Would you just want to pray a blessing for you? Lord, would you just bless those who raised their hand in Jesus' name? Let them know you love them, you care for them, that you have a plan for their lives, that you've gone before and behind them and in front of them. Lord, in Jesus' name, would you have your way in us? Lord, my hand is up to you in the way I just surrender to you. Use me, Lord, for your glory and for others' good. We thank you that you did that in Rahab's life and you can do it in anybody's life. Lord, we love you. We look to you. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said? Amen Amen and amen. Amen and amen. God bless you guys. We did it. Chapter two. Gina, thanks for having faith. I appreciate it. We'll be doing it again at the 11 a.m. service. God bless you guys. Don't forget to grab a Forrest Moore discipleship card and the Through the Bible reading program. I love you guys. God bless you. You are dismissed. Pray for Tristan.